Prepare to hear the truth from a real whistleblower and American patriot. Here's civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and indefinitely suspended FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. A quick uh, word out to our sponsors who is uh, sponsoring our program this month. We're going to say thanks to Patriot Coolers, Patriot Coolers and PatriotCoolers.com. If you'll visit their page, you can get 10% off when you do the promo code KYLE. That's spelled K-Y-L-E. Keeping it real simple. If you need a tumbler, if you need a mug, I'm not asking you to go buy something you don't need, but if you do, check them out. They keep things hot. They think keep things cold. Uh, you can check out their great products. They've got great colors, patriotic packaging, and a seriously fair price. They are more affordable than some of the bigger names, but they're probably made in the same factory. In fact, they told me sometimes they get the wrong product sent over. So go figure out how that goes. I've got my uh, my hot tumbler, tumbler right here right now. Uh, you don't have to pay for a name brand that's not going to add anything to your life. Get something that supports disabled vets and the Kyle Serafin Show. I've been using them since 2017. We started using these on surveillance, and my wife's been using it for quite a while in the minivan. Uh, check out their rotomotive coolers. They're soft-sided coolers. They can keep ice cold for days, just like a Yeti, just like an Arctic, except it says Patriot on the side, just like you. Support your country, support our vets, support the show. It's promo code KYLE for 10% off. I've called January 6th the American Rorschach test. <laughs> what do you think about that as, a, as an image? Well, <laughs> it, it's very interesting that you say that. I've never, I've never thought about it in that light or in those terms before. But it, it's interesting because if you hold that uh, that Rorschach image up and you show it to somebody on this side, they're going to see it one way. You hold it to somebody on this side, they see the exact same photo, the exact same video, the exact same image in an entirely different light. And, and then, of course, you have the extremes on those two ends who really see it differently. I've read entire tweet threads today, just today, of people that believe that I need to be in Guantanamo and being waterboarded for the rest of my life just because I carried a Capitol inside, I mean, a camera inside the Capitol building. Right. And these are people that theoretically um, f five years ago would have fought vigorously that somebody could have a First Amendment right to report on, let's say, the Trump administration they hated, and they should have carried Absolutely. a hidden camera into the uh, into the Oval Office and things like that, right? Exactly right. So these That's are the exactly. same people that ostensibly are interested in liberty, and instead we're just seeing just blatant tribalism. One one sees the, yeah. you know, two ducks kissing, and the other one sees like two garden gnomes high-fiving. Uh, I don't know. I just I feel like you hold up January 6th to anybody and we find out what you think about almost everything else, because how you respond to that that video, how you respond to the whole situation and all the things we know and what you do and what you don't know. That's the real thing. There's a lot of like willful ignorance on both sides, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I absolutely. I don't want to credit like you saw somebody take a spear in the face and have his cheek explode with blood. I've never seen yeah. that. But that sounds like that would be that would get my blood boiling because I spent you know, six plus years in law enforcement. And I spent time as a medic um, responding to law enforcement, getting involved in things. And, you know, law enforcement are my people, especially people that are getting beaten up. Like sure. I just, I despise bullies. Anyone who's going to throw a spear at a guy doing his job or a woman doing his job, like you're, that's, you know, take him to jail. That's fine with me. Uh, and I think you probably feel the same way about it because nobody wants to see that. And you also don't want to see grandma who's walking around taking brochures inside the red velvet ropes inside the Capitol because somebody opened the doors uh, right. Whether they were allowed to or not, that lady doesn't need to go to jail. Yeah. And you don't need to see anybody who is what I call the accidental tourist being swatted at six o'clock in the morning in their underwear in the middle of the winter. That's right. That doesn't need to be happening. And it's like I said on Tucker's show Tuesday night, I said, I've, I've lived for the last 15 months wondering if I'm going to see those red dots coming through my bedroom window. That's right. Every single morning at six o'clock. First thought. 
And you know and that's, when they, that's when they serve the warrants. Yeah, because that's, that's right. when they serve the warrants. And, and so I, I don't, I don't have, I don't have um, a particular belief. I, I, I've, my attorney and myself <laughs> have had this discussion many, many, many times over the last several months, over over a year now. Every few weeks, I say to him, "Don't you think it's time we ought to give Miss AUSA Anita Eve a call and just see if they've maybe." decided not to move forward with me or or maybe am I just at the bottom of the pile because they know I wasn't violent so they're going to get all the other the 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 real ne'er-do-wells out of the uh way first and he's always oh no no we're not calling them we're never ever calling them I agree with uh, your attorney not, by the way and then and then you're going to love this one and I actually I actually said this to Steve Friend when I interviewed him on my podcast I actually said I just have this desire to contact Agent Doss, the one who I knew by body language didn't want to be in that room, and I just want to take him out for a cup of coffee. I can tell him it's on off the record on my side. I know nothing is ever off the record on their side, but that's fine. I'm totally fine with that. But I would just love to have a, co a conversation with him. And my attorney and Steve Friend both went, oh, no, 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 <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. All right. I have, the, I have the same instincts that you do. And here's, and that's the reason why people talk to the FBI for what it's worth. The instinct is some of it is what do they know and what can I find from them? That's a, that's a big instinct. But the other one is I'm a good person and I didn't do anything wrong. I'm going to go set the record straight. And yeah. even, especially even people that you've seen that indicate that they probably have a sympathetic view to what you what happened to you and, and what you believe and what you saw and probably believe the same way. The danger in the FBI right now is, and I'm going to have you reflect on it in one second, but the danger is, is that a lot of people that would otherwise be ideologically sympathetic and are looking for fairness have been told in no uncertain terms, get the COVID shot, stop talking about your religion in any way, shape or form, and you don't get any objections and shut your mouth and color like they tell the Marines to do. Sit down and color, shut up and color, do your job. And if that means going out and arresting people who were at January 6th, who you don't agree with, if you want your pension, you better go do that thing. And I've had my supervisor in, in New Mexico tell me in no uncertain terms. He said, look, I agree with you in principle and, and in reality, and I have a mortgage and I have an alimony and I have to pay them and I can't stand up on something like this. And so the answer is, is that these people have sold their dignity and they've sold their, their honor and their, their integrity for like 120 to $175,000 a year. And what a shame to find that out at any point in your life, that that's what your honor and your integrity are worth. Because the FBI historically has always seen the crime and found the man. And now what they're doing right now and what you're, what you're witnessing is they've seen the man and they're finding the crime. And that doesn't matter whether it's you or it's Mark Hout in, um, in Philadelphia, who was a pro-like activist that got charged with a face act violation, right. you know, for defending right. his kid. I mean, the right. thing, and I interviewed him too. And it's like, you know, end of the day, somebody says something like that to one of my kids, like I'm putting them, I'm putting them in the gutter. They're not going to probably be able to get out for a while. They're going to need an ambulance. And yeah. he was, and he's a, I don't know if you knew this, but he played, uh, he played football in college. Like he's a big dude, oh, no, uh, like a physical capable guy who has a bunch of kids and had somebody threatening his 12 year old son, I think eight year old at the time. Anyway, when they decide to go after you, because you've identified, you're identified as the man. So what do we got here? How about Rico? That sounds like ridiculous and outrageous. Yeah. I'm like, the only person that that's the other question the that I've worked with has even ever heard that they all have the same. 
interstate racketeering. Because you're the man. Now they got to find the crime. And the crime is you made money. You traveled to something. You stood on a bench. Boom. Now I got you. And and what an absurd thing. And I think you're 100% correct about them weaponizing this government. What I had never thought about, and I think this is really troubling. I've had two troubling conversations in the last two days. <laughs> this is the second of them. Um, the idea that this is the blueprint pushing and creating precedent to go further and further for this sort of banana republic that we are moving towards. Um, that the DOJ is trying out new tactics and getting away with it. And it's just, it's it's a positive feedback loop, right? It's reinforcing to push it further. Julie Kelly's reporting uh, during this last week has kind of showed us they have informants in the defense team. Did you see that? Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. This is big. This so, is this so is a. I asked this of of, of a, a, an FBI attorney who had twenty seven years as an agent and an attorney who was a chief division counsel. This is the guy that calls balls and strikes whether you can or can't do an operation. Mm-hmm. I asked it of an ATF agent who I don't trust the ATF, but um, he's a nice enough guy and he's retired now, so I can ask him real questions. And I go, hey, first of all, why'd you work for the ATF twenty five years? And second of all, most importantly, did you ever think about recruiting sources inside the defense camp? And he was like, if only we had thought of that, huh? He's like, no, the reason why you don't do it is because it's illegal. Because they have a right to due process. And you are in violation Since of my the- very first conversation with my attorney, uh, Brad Geyer, mm-hmm. the very first time we talked on Wednesday morning, the day before Thanksgiving 2021, we spent three hours on the phone. And you know how he closed that conversation on the phone? For any of those of you who are listening to me right now, I have just entered an agreement with this uh, with Stephen Baker. He is now my client. This is an attorney-client privilege call, and he ends our calls with that basically a, a, a rote statement that he makes every single time at the end of these calls because he has known as a guy working on these January 6 cases – that he is being monitored. He knows that they're co- that because he you understand he was, ha- he, he had to develop entire cases without being able to visit his client in jail because his client was unvaxxed. Right. Because that actually so, means that you don't have any rights under the constitution in this country. That's correct. Moment. So he has to have those consultations with his client, attorney client consultations, the ultimate uh, sacrosanct, sacrosanct, uh, you know, separation of powers there where you get to say anything to your attorney and knowing that all those calls are being recorded. And now we're seeing that that actually was happening through this proud boys trial now. Yeah. And the second thing was, and this is the one that just came out was that they actually recruited a source. The source was going to be a defense witness and the source continued as a CHS, a confidential human source for the bureau reporting back to the agents after meeting with the attorneys discussing strategy so they were catching that in real time too and this person was um you know no disclosure to the defense that hey by the way this person is one of our people and found out the day before they were supposed to testify they're in fact a federal informant i've never i've never seen anything like that and your painting of it stating that this is basically just their this is their trial run for all of the the possibilities there you know We've seen that, and we've seen the FACE Act, which is the other thing that's so absurd. Uh, And Mm -hmm. both of them are decidedly against people on the right. Um, And and I don't really care what anyone's position is about abortion. Your position about speaking out and saying your thing, as long as you're not involved in violence and you're not violating the federal law, is really, it's not really a a negotiation. Uh, And I would feel the same way if it was uh, whether people were doing the same thing outside of an abortion clinic or if they were doing the same thing in front of a church. Yeah. Yeah, take your pick. It's like, look, if you're violent, you're violent. It goes back. 
it goes back to the world that I grew up in, which was very simply this. And we talked about that earlier, you know, 19 years old. I started playing professionally when I was 16 years old in music and, 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 uh, the, how different the world we didn't, it, the, the subject of politics in my band never came up ever once today in this world, I have band members that will quit once they learn your politics, right. it's a completely different world. And, and what, what was happening back then and in those days was we had this idea that I don't, I may not agree with anything that you have to say, but I will stand on the line and I will defend your right to the death for the right to say what you have to say. That's a very and old school idea. It doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't. I still believe it. I do too. I mean, that's what I swore. That's what I swore in. I mean, I've sworn an oath that multiple times and it's strange. What do you, uh, because I saw that change. I mean, I was born in 1981, so I'm younger by all means. And it was still the way that I grew up. I, you know, my dad actually interviewed me on a, on his radio station and asked me, did we grow up in a political household? And I go, no. And he goes, you know, do you know how your parents voted? And I go, not until I was in my 20s. I just didn't know, but I didn't also care. It didn't really matter. It wasn't a thing anybody mm -hmm. cared about. I, I remember going to college and I was 18 years old in the dormitory and somebody was like, you know, freaking out about the fact that uh, Bush Jr. was running and he was really into it. And I went, uh, he goes, what do you think about Bush? And I go, um, he's a really nice man. And they go, what do you mean? And I go, uh, my dad worked for him at the Texas Rangers. He used to be a part owner of a baseball mm. team. And my dad was a manager in, in the marketing department there. And uh, he really liked him. He thought he was a good guy. So that's good enough for me. That was my, that was my version of politics at the time. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and that's about how far it went until much, much later. What do you attribute that, um, that shift? Because it is a nasty shift that we've seen in this country. I don't know anyone that likes it. Um, that's not actually the, the true. There only, may be one or two the people. Thing I can, <laughs> there may be the, some yeah, people that like it. The only thing I can think of is it has to be the internet. Uh, okay. I mean, that, 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 has, that has rewired the minds of an entire couple of generations now. When, you know, when, I, when I think about the fact that I started cutting my political writing chops you know, back in CompuServe days, back uh, you know, early 90s, yep. uh, and as I said before, from CompuServe, I went to AOL and from AOL to MySpace, MySpace to Facebook, Facebook to blogging, you know, and, and the progression went from there. Right. And so the, the, the fact that we're 30 years, oh, well, gosh, now I can't even believe it. We're, we're, you know, we're 35 years roughly in, into the internet uh, generation. So we've, we've got, uh, we have not only children having their minds rewired, but their parents now have already had their minds rewired by the internet. Yeah. And as, as, as glorious as it is for an information and communication source and has beneficial and as, as beneficial as it has been to us economically, we now what we now know what the downside is, and I, I, that's the only thing I can think of, Kyle. Is that's the that's the dividing line between that first half of because say I'm a little older than you, so that's the dividing line for the first half of my life and the second half of my life is it, the advent of the sense. internet. What do you think about the? Uh, I, I hear people say it. I, I know actually one of my buddies who's um he doesn't have, I don't know if he has a college degree. He's like one of the deepest thinkers that's never probably been to college kind of thing. And I love people like that. They're my favorite. And so he has this this unique perspective, and he always talks about the digital dark age, that mm. we are we have this incredible amount of technology available to us, but we don't know what it means and we don't know how to use it. In the same way that the people in the in Europe didn't understand, like they had these aqueducts and the Romans built them and they were incredible and they worked. They kept yeah. moving water in, but nobody knew how to fix the damn thing because they didn't understand right. what the technology fundamentally did. And I, and it seems like in some ways that's maybe where we're at 
with the internet. It exists. It's got some power for good, but mm -hmm. nobody knows what to do with it or how to use it and, right. And look where we're headed now with AI. And um, I, I, I've just been talking to uh, some of my followers and, and did a, a little bit of a story on it already. I started experimenting with chat GPT last I saw week. That. Yep. And I didn't know how to do it. So I actually had some of my, you know, my smarter people, people that know more than I do and about those types of things taught me how to approach my conversations with artificial intelligence. So I redirected, I started challenging them. I started challenging the responses I was getting from the machine and the machine would sometimes apologize to me and go, oh yeah, you're right. And then it would correct itself and come back with the correct information. And I went, okay, you had access to the correct information already. Are you telling me that you're, you released what you did release to me in the first time I asked you that question out of some sort of pre-programming bias? And the, and the machine would refuse to acknowledge or admit to bias in its thinking or in its programming. Uh, absolutely refuse. It would never, ever confess to bias, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, it was there. No, did you see, did you, but did you see the poem I had it right? No, I didn't, me? I didn't dig deep enough into that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let me, uh, if I can find it, I won't waste any time here. Uh, and, uh, and then again, maybe you can, you can edit it out here if I, if I can't sure, find it fast enough, a problem. but, but what, what happened was, is after I've had this incredibly long conversation with this machine, I finally asked it to write me a poem in the style of E.E. E. Cummings. Okay. My fa favorite poets as a young, young man. I was into literature. As I told you, I was a you, you and my dad, by the way, I've got, I've got complete works of E.E. E. Cummings in my library. There you go. And so I, I hear, I, I found it. So this was the question that I put to it. I said, can you write me a poem about the Department of Justice handling of the January 6, 2021 riot in the style of E.E. E. Cummings? That's my question. Okay. That's a very specific. I've seen it do things like Dr. Seuss and some other stuff about the Second Amendment. So I'm, I'm interested. You want to read All it right. to us? So here's what it says to me. The frightening part, Kyle, is that. It entirely produced its response and the entire text of the four verse poem in less than two seconds. Right. That's terrifying. So here it says it introduces it for me. Here's a poem in the style of E.E. E. Cummings that reflects on the Department of Justice handling of the January 6, 2021 riots. And here we go. Perfect E.E. E. Cummings style. No punctuations, you know. Yep. No capitalizations. It says, People may not know that, but that's that's the thing. That's yeah. the way E.E. E. Cummings, lowercase e, lowercase e, Cummings spelled out, no punctuation. The machine wrote, Oh, justice be your sword unsheathed to mete out truth and prosecute the deceived. The capital stormed by an angry horde to disrupt, destroy, and break the lawful accord. But the DOJ, firm in its solemn role, investigates, indicts, and upholds the rule of the whole. So let us trust in the blindfolded maid to balance the scales and ensure justice is conveyed. That's horrifying. And did you catch the first verse? It said, and prosecute the deceived. It's incredible stuff. 
That's really dense too. That's really bothering. That's going to bother me. Thank you for that. Now I can go walk around. I already am scared of this, yeah. th this damn thing because I, I grew up in a generation watching the Terminator and Terminator 2. And yeah, yeah. So there's a really interesting, totally unrelated, but there's a very interesting um, AI experiment that's done in a follow-on. They, they, they did a thing called the, uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Are you familiar with that at all? Mm -hmm. Yep. Did you watch any of them? No, I haven't, but I'm a, I know it exists. I'd, I'd say it's entertaining. I don't know if it's worth anybody's time or not. Uh, if you happen to be a Terminator 2 type, uh, it's got pretty women in it doing cool, you know, butt kicking stuff. And right, you've got right. uh, a, a young John Connor who's trying to figure it out. And he is dealing with this concept of artificial intelligence. I think that's really the most I've ever seen it dug into. You know, mm. if you remember the, the T-1000 and the T-800, they were kind of oh, like killing yeah. machines, right? They didn't really, they didn't really process a whole lot. They were learning... You know, he was a known that computer, but he was still Arnold Schwarzenegger. So he didn't really have a lot of depth in that, that AI. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, in this one, they take the, they take the AI chip that they get from something and they plug it into a machine and they build a supercomputer around it and they plug it into a body of a deceased Terminator that was depowered for some reason. And so now it has a face and a name and it looks like a Terminator. It's a muscular white male, you know, with a buzz cut, but it's learning like a child. And they name it John Henry for the man who could outwork the machine. All this is very, very dark stuff when you start watching it. It's really, really good. They had a couple of great scenes in there where the uh, the Terminator is actually throwing all this, you know, takes a tactical team apart of the FBI. Amazingly oh, right, enough, of course, right. right? But um, and they're playing um, they're playing Johnny Cash, right? And he's just um, you know, you could what is it called? Uh, Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Is the song mm. <laughs> very dark? Watching like bodies fly off a balcony into the pool right, and right, bleeding right. and stuff. And uh, and this John Henry is learning poetry and learning why people do things. And but it's it's the idea of a true AI that is literally learning for the sake of learning, not with the bias of a programmer. And the mm -hmm. and the thing that's programming it turns out to be another Terminator from a more advanced one so it's a machine programming a machine child to learn for the sake of purity and that's yeah. not the ai that we're seeing in this country we're yeah. seeing an ai that has the all the biases and wild sort of uh, inclinations of a very far left silicon valley group and they're making it available and, and a lot of you're not the only person who's exposed that, that that's a really scary poem on every level <laughs> it's like well i mean i mean when just, i when i read that first it's also verse, really good yeah, it's also incredibly good, very well crafted. It's 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 absolutely eloquent. It's absolutely perfectly E.E. E. Cummings. And the fact that it, it, it I, and when I saw that that conclusion to meet out truth and prosecute the deceived, that was bias programming right there. Right. Why didn't why didn't the artificial intelligence spit out and prosecute the guilty? Right. Could have done that. Could have chosen that word. No, it's really, so, really specific. It's a very it, specific it, it value knew, judgment. It knew that the protesters that day were were protesting an election result and that they had been lied to by their president to prosecute the deceived. That's how deep that poem is. It's it's so ugly. And it's really scary. Like I said, I grew up in fear of AI and I I, I tend to agree with the Elon Musk types that it's the scariest thing that's out there, but it's scarier. It's much scarier to think that it comes with the bias of the people that are building it. And the people that are building it Correct. probably think guys like you are a domestic terrorist because yeah. you showed up to videotape and document something and you continue to do so throughout the, the, the course of one day, 
one day in your whole life that you went and did that. Yeah. Right. You, know, you know, going back to your question about why I think that they may be retargeting me. We, we, we chased two or three rabbits since you that's, asked me that question. That's what we do. Uh, yeah. Which is fine. I'm enjoying the conversation, but what ended up happening was, as you know, I have been very aggressive. I was also the only, uh, voice of my kind of our kind in the oath keepers trial for nine weeks, tweet storming live every day from the trial. I was not only reporting on what was happening in the trial, the absolute complete evisceration of the bill of rights and of justice itself by the behaviors of those us attorneys and by the judge uh, presiding over that trial as i watched it unfold before me i was i was aghast and i was reporting on it as it happened and i was calling balls and strikes and and um and uh, rules violations as they were happening in mm -hmm. the game and then but my story was also on the other 20 to 25, sometimes 30 mainstream press affiliate, you know, reporters that were in there as well. I was, began writing about them as well. Yep. And what I was seeing in their reporting, because I would walk out of that media room every day, go and then look at their stories as they would come out over the course of the evening and into the next morning. And I would come back the next morning and have to stare at them and just never verbalize the question. Did you watch the same trial that I saw yesterday? That's right. Well, they have the and same... They have the same biases they're bringing that the jurors are bringing. And one of right. the things that has been so unique, and, and I know it's been stated, but we'll say it one more time. There is no precedent for people fighting to get on a federal jury in anywhere <laughs> that I'm aware of. It's not a thing. It doesn't exist anywhere. Nobody wants to be on a federal jury. Nobody wants to be on any jury. It's a massive Ever. inconvenience for your life. And people are crawling all over themselves and excusing their own biases in ways that are completely illogical in order to sit and mean out justice because they want to be part of the retribution that That's stops right. these evil people, these evil, evil people that did this terrible, terrible thing, and they're going to be part of it. They're going to be part of history. Mm -hmm. That is a, a heretofore never never seen in, in this no. country in any way. And so you're no. seeing all the pieces of it. You're seeing judges that are on board. You're seeing jurors that are fighting to be part of it. You're seeing journalists that have a side, and they are, man, they are rooting for their team. They are not watching the same game you're watching. It scares yeah. the hell out of me, to be honest with you. Like it, I've read Ryan J. Riley's reporting, and I think he's a, a buffoon because he thought that uh, earplugs were rubber bullets in Ferguson, and I basically have discounted anything he said. I know people can grow and they can they can change. He hasn't shown me that he's had any more discernment since then. He's still saying foolish things, including about me personally, which I think are funny. It's like I think you're a beta male, and I think that you wouldn't say any of those things to my face because. If you're going to act like that, like you're a fool, but so be it. Hopefully he listens to his podcast. He used to listen to some of mine and, and do his thing with them and write about them. But they go out well, there he and they probably will. He probably will because the two of us. Ryan and I met at that trial. Okay. He interviewed me for his book. Oh, good. Which is what and sedition he, hunters or whatever he's calling it. Something. Yeah. Something like that. He, but he interviewed me for two and a half hours for his book. And when he called me up sitting right at this desk right here, and I said, uh, actually, he texted me and said, hey, would you you know, be interested in um, doing a sit down with me uh, for my book? And I said, sure. Um, just let me know when. Boom. The phone rings right then sometime early evening. And I went, he goes, you got time right now? Said, yeah. What the heck? I said, oh, by the way, I'm going to be recording this. And I said, uh, if you misquote me or you mischaracterize anything I say, I'm going to burn the house down. He said, OK, fine. Good enough. And that's how that's how that interview started. He's quoted me accurately. And the things that he thought were like an indictment in my character, because I said I thought the on the day of January 6th was really funny from where I was sitting. And it was. It was hilarious. 
I'm telling you, I was shooting with a bunch of regular cops. And then we looked down and there was a dude with Viking horn standing in the middle of the floor. And we're like, <laughs> like, that's absurd. Like that's, it is. that's theater of the absurd alternate universe weird at 40 something, you know, almost 40 years old at that time, you know, I'm 41 now. So I'm looking at that and going never in my life. Would you have been like, is that on your bingo card for the next three years? Nope. That's not <laughs> no. on my bingo card. I wouldn't even put, I wouldn't waste the square, man. Not even on the free space. That's craziness. That wouldn't yeah. happen. And so that happens. And so he quoted me and it's like, and then, and then they also showed, I told him, told everybody when I put these first, you know, my fledgling podcast out that, uh, that I threw away leads of January 6th and the January 6th leads were awful. They were straight yeah. up awful. It was, I knew Steve Baker back in high school. I knew he played the trumpet. He really loved Reagan. He's an asshole. He probably loves Trump and he probably burned down the Capitol. And it's like, I'm not going to go investigate that. Are you out of your mind? Like, I, uh, I wouldn't waste my time. I wouldn't waste anybody's time with that. I wouldn't even waste an analyst's time with that. It's trash. That's where that goes. Mm -hmm. That's personal vendetta and animosity. That's the stuff that we saw, I, though. But there are yeah. a lot of agents that ran that that lead down and they came and talked to you. Oh. I mean, and, yeah. you know what I mean? And they would. That's exactly right. And and they so, did. So that's what happens. So, that's what's so scary. So back to so back to why we're worried about today. Yeah. I, I have been, as I said, very aggressive in my analysis, very aggressive in my writing. I'm also now working with a group uh in DC that is feeding the the alleged weaponization committee. Um, the group that I'm working with are very, very well connected. Uh they're on Capitol Hill every single day. They are very much like you and I, in that they are angry about what's not happening with those committees. Yep. They're they're absolutely insist incensed at the stonewalling and what they feel like is a betrayal of the actual function, the stated function of that committee by its leadership. Yes, uh, Jim Jordan, and the you can say it loud the, and proud. I've said it before. <laughs> Look, I have no problem. I, I, I already have. I've called him out brutally uh, in my Twitter feed. I feel the same way, it, but it's like it's like. Look, if he does it, if he does something well, that we give him an attaboy, and if he doesn't, we tell yeah. him we're disappointed. And that, that's just being honest people. Like that's what constituents are supposed to do. Well, as you've heard, I, I've called out uh, uh, the name of Anita Eve several times. I've called out my agent's names here. That's generally the way I write. Yes, yeah, I, I, go. I figure if they're going to come after me, then I can I can spread the love as well. And so the the it's not it's not my own form of vendetta or retribution. It's just equal opportunity, and it's equal it's 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 equal time. It's equal speech is what it is to me. Yep. If they're going to prosecute me, then I'm going to let the world know who's who's coming after me. And what ended up happening was on Monday of this week, my attorney called me mid afternoon, and his first words out of, out of his mouth after I said, "Hey, Brad, what's going on?" He said, "Hey, just letting you know that we're both in the kill box." Did he define that term for you? <laughs> well, I know what a kill box is. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, uh, keep talking. And he said, he said, uh, well, he's, he said, you know how, uh, basically how I've had to pull you back on a few of your stories. Cause every once in a while I write something that scares me. Okay. I've sent it to him Yeah, and let him go, you know, and and just as a, an example, I've done part one, part two, part three of my Capitol Police story. And and in that series, one of the reasons why I'm getting calls and I'm being privately contacted by Capitol Police officers is they know that I'm playing fair. Yeah, I'm not I'm not one of those guys on our side who has characterized every officer that day as a murderer. Every right. officer is Michael Byrd. 
And, you know, that that's the way they've, that's what we know you, you read it. I've interviewed them. Uh, there's, there's a class of people on our team who that's the way they think about, uh, every law enforcement officer up there. Yes. Agreed. But, and I don't have a team either. So it's yeah. like, I like that. I, and I've found that to be very much the case so far since we've been talking. So I appreciate that as a, just a middle of the road, sober thing. It's like, look, these things happen. Some things are good. Some things are bad. Yeah. You know, like the whole rest of your life, like every other person's experience in life, not yeah. everything is one thing. So they've been coming out and talking to you. Yeah. You so they've, they've been coming parts. out and talking to me. Uh, I'm obviously reporting on that. Yeah. And, um, and the word is getting out among the legal community as well, that I'm ruffling feathers. Then that, that conversation was on Monday, the kill box, the kill box conversation was on Monday, mm-hmm. Tuesday morning, 6 30 AM. I get a phone call from another journalist, a friendly journalist who called to tell me that he had a friendly source inside the DOJ in DC who phoned him on Monday and said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, your friend in Raleigh, tell him to be careful. He has awakened a couple of people who are really unhappy with what he's reporting on right now. That was Tuesday morning at six, you know, when, when another journalist calls you at 6 30 AM, it's not good. That's a pretty, that's a pretty significant warning wake morning, wake up call. Yep. No coffee required. Yeah. And coincidentally, I hear from Steve friend, you know, one or two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, you interested in being on Tucker? He puts me in touch with the gal that set that up and I'm sitting in the studio talking to Tucker that night about that very situation. Obviously, we didn't have time to get into that kind of detail about why I, I think that I'm being about to be targeted yet again. But as I said, my my own attorney has had to walk me off the ledge a couple of times with some of my stories. And um, I mean, even even I I had I was contacted one time, uh, not contacted, but I was uh, uh, Officer Harry Dunn's attorney took a fired a warning shot across my bow publicly on mm-hmm. on Twitter. And so I immediately got on the phone with my attorney and said, Hey, are they going to sue me for what I'm saying about Harry Dunn? And he goes, let them, because then we can, because that's a lot more evidence we can get into, uh, In <laughs> discovery. Get into the open. And, uh, uh, he said, yeah, let them come on. He said, cause then, the, then we get to take him down. And he said, that's why they're not going to, because the video evidence will prove that Harry Dunn is a liar when it's released. Remind me who and, Harry Dunn is. I know the name now and I can't p- place what his role is. Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn is the one that was made. He's the big six foot eight, six foot seven, three hundred and fifty pound officer who um, uh, was credited with so many wonderful deeds that day. He's received a presidential medal, a congressional medal, okay. department medal. Uh, he's got got his book deal, and uh, he's the guy that claimed that he was uh, uh, subjected to a group of rioters chanting the N word at him. Right, of course. Uh, Right. And every single black USCP officer that I've spoken to, and there have been several, all say that never happened. The black officers that I'm speaking to. Yeah. And there's a fair there's a fair number of of black officers on the U.S. Capitol Police. For people who don't know, that's that's who lives around D.C. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of gentlemen that look like that. Um, 
I have no, uh, that doesn't sound credible either. That's not the sort of thing that happens in America, generally speaking, especially well, not it's in the, crowds. It's the most, it's the most recorded event in the history of the world. And you're telling me that an event of that magnitude, had it been uh, recorded on one of the hundreds of cell phones that would have been present and rolling at that time, or any of the professional photographers or the independent journalists that were in the, that area at the time, would have led that, that would not have been captured. We would have not heard a single January 6th story on any network ever for two and a half years without that audio running. That's right. I agree. And it didn't happen. But that's not the big lie. And the big lie is buried in the videotape, and I've seen it. And that has to do with his testimony against the Oath Keepers. Interesting. He changed his FBI and uh, in, in the two FBI uh, 302s. And they're both still under seal, but they were both referenced in court. So I can talk about it. First FBI interview, he credited the Oath Keepers. This was in May of 2021 with standing a line in front of him and helping prevent more, more of the agitated protesters, keeping them off of him. The way you'd correct. expect people who are former law enforcement and military to do. Correct. Mm -hmm. Sometime between May of 2021 and August of 2021, the Oath Keepers were determined to be the perfect patsy, scapegoat, whatever you want to call them, as the tip of the spear, as the leaders of the insurrection. As, as a militia group. A militia group. A mm -hmm. uh, violent, right-wing, extremist militia group, as they were characterized. And Harry Dunn was brought back in for another interview with the FBI, which I've read both 302s. And the only reason that he was brought back in for that second interview was to change his Oath Keeper story, which he did. And he created another event that happened in another place, which he said he thought were Oath Keepers at the time, but it actually wasn't the actual real Oath Keepers. And that that event was actually a confrontational event, and it was from beginning to end. And the only reason for the second interview was to change that statement. And... um and it created it out of whole cloth. I've seen the video that proves that he lied, but I can never show it because it's under seal. This is Capitol Police footage, not uh, your footage. It is uh, Capitol uh, CCTV okay. footage. Mm -hmm. yep. All right, um, I'm going to keep. I'm going to pivot back to what we were talking about. You got a phone call six thirty in the morning. What's your next action on that? That puts you in the seat to talk to Tucker. Obviously, a shorter interview than than what we're doing here. So I'm glad we get to talk as much as you want about it. Um, it's one of those things that's so tough. I, and having done those shows, and I've, I've been on Waters, I've been on Tucker, you know, same as you. It's yeah. like you get 90 seconds of actual talk, and you catch 90 seconds of question. Tucker's actually good at listening, I think. But there's such yeah. short snippets. You got right. one. You get one idea. You can just yeah. send out across it. Um, and that that's it. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, we're, and we're approaching Joe Rogan territory here, by the way. Yeah, we're so. coming up on three. That's all right. People will listen to it. They can break it up into bites. I always tell them that. Uh, yeah. That's the nice right. thing about le releasing it on a Monday morning. It's like, you got all week. We'll do another one. You got seven days to listen to it. Or you can listen to it next week. I don't care. You listen to it anytime you want because the interviews are the interviews. And uh, sure. the, the story that someone has to tell is their story. And I don't know how long it takes. And neither do you until we start doing it. <laughs> so yeah. Um, what do you what do you think the next the most likely course of events are for you coming up next? You got that call. You're obviously on the offensive. I agree with that move. I've done the same. I think it is the move. It's the only thing that keeps just the Justice Department at bay is the fear of bad publicity. I don't know why. I don't know why they care because it doesn't seem to be 
the way that they're running their trials. They don't seem to be interested in the Constitution. They care about a little bit, maybe a little bit of public sentiment. Is that- I, I think I think that the answer to that question is, or that thought, mm-hmm. is that most of the country still respects the First Amendment. Not all of them, as we know. We talked about the Rorschach test. We talked about the division. Sure. Uh, the extremes that uh, of the, the, you know, this chasm between what appears to be the two sides now, right now. And, uh, but still, there's still a lot of guys. I mean, look how many guys uh, on from the left wing press have, you know, whether they've been actually red pilled, as we call it or not, have, have become. Well, they, they're showing their classical liberal stripes now, and they're defending uh, the First Amendment. They're defending speech again. If we're talking, whether we're talking about Joe Rogan or Matt Taibbi, or we're talking about uh, Shelton Berger, or, or just go go down the list. I mean, yeah, Barry Weiss and, and Lee Fang, yeah, all those it, types. It, it, it's just more and more and more and more of them are going. Wait, stop, stop. We, I, I can still be a, a Biden voter, but I can't, I can't. Uh, align with you on this wokeness or this the suppress, suppression of speech or this uh, uh, you know this deplatforming and and shadow banning of speech and and so I think that if there's any hesitancy left in the Department of Justice and as I've characterized them as using January 6th as their their R and D as their testing grounds for where they want to take this country. Do you think that's Especially. conscious? By the way, do you think that's a conscious decision that someone is making? Yes. Or are they just okay. I, 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 the, the, the actual gates of hell, evil I saw in the go in the in the Oath Keepers trial had to be conscious because these people they either literally have a seared conscience, or this was a conscious you know decision and probably. Maybe both. Yeah, this is your idea. So I, I don't know that I have an opinion on it yet. I think it's an incredibly interesting thing to to dig into. And I am I think that that's a, a certainly plausible, that it is conscious. I'm curious how many people are actually driving that in a conscious way. And and so what, let's say that is conscious, uh, that it's a conscientious effort to do this. What's the end game look like? Uh, it is to, in fact, uh, shut down the other half of the country and to shut down our speech eventually uh the only bulwark that we have and kyle you know this uh, i i get i get this from my own blog followers from new zealand australia uh russia um uh romania um uh i just got one i, I never i can't I, 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 I won't waste time trying to think of the country it was a country <laughs> i've never gotten a message from before but I, I, i'm not sure that i even knew it existed but these people tell us that the only reason that there are remaining vestiges of freedom on this planet to whatever level in these other countries that they still have their varying levels of liberty is because of our second amendment. I hear that too. That's the last domino. It is the last one. And I have also written this about January 6th is that I believe that they anticipated and expected the MAGA crowd to show up with concealed weapons, use those weapons, and that would have been the end of the Second Amendment had that happened that day. It would have been over. 
That's really interesting. And, and I have written about that several times, and it is by the grace of God that it did not happen because we do know that some of those guys were armed. They just didn't use their weapons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a threshold that most people are in, uh, in the military communities, the special operations guys talk about flipping the switch. I think a mm -hmm. lot of people didn't have that. They didn't, the people that showed up that would have done that are not the types of people that were going to flip the switch and right. they're maybe blowhards, maybe fools, maybe both. Um, mm -hmm. and thankfully they did not do that. Um, the thing that you're talking about, the second amendment being the, the, the last hedge. And I do agree with you on that on every way. And I have said that pretty publicly. I also, I'll say it first, cause I think it's really important. I think that if anybody is looking at the division that's happening in this country and they don't think that violence is on the menu, I'm not saying we have to order it. And I hope we don't very mm -hmm. clearly, but do you have the same instinct that that is obviously one of the items on the menu that is, that we're looking down with this sort of behavior? Because once you're, once you're looking at a government that delegitimizes its own authorities by trampling over these these civil liberties in the, in the Bill of Rights, yeah. um, the number of, of legitimate recourse options are very, very low. Right. If we're, if we're talking about the um, uh, Philadelphia abortion clinic protester, if we're talking about the uh, school board meeting protesters, the families that have been characterized as, you know, <laughs> domestic terrorists for sure. speaking, speaking up. But this is, I believe, a conscientious objective objective coming from the Department of Justice to shut down the speech because look because you have to look at the trials. All right, look, look at what's happening in the individual cases. If you're one of what I call these accidental tourists that walk through the building, if you did so silently and you rolled up your flag, you might get out of there with either two or one single misdemeanor. You'll get two years probation, $500 fine, 100 hours of community service, flap on the wrist, and you're sent back home to live your life and wait out your probationary period to be over with. Okay. But if you wrote on your Facebook page prior to or afterwards, I stormed the Capitol today. And that's all you said. You got eight months in prison. Same thing. Right. You didn't do anything different. Or if they got you on video chanting, whose house, our house, whose house, our house, oh, that's going to cost you six months in jail. Right. She said, all right, now let's take it to the other extreme. Oath Keepers trial. For whatever the Oath Keepers may or may not be guilty of, or shouldn't say whatever they may be guilty of, let me tell you what they're not guilty of what they got convicted of not a single one of them yeah. guilty of what they, with the exception exception of Jessica Watkins who took full responsibility for that shoving match she got in that shoving scrum she got in with some of the uh, metro police uh, department okay. members inside the capitol and she took full responsibility her lawyer you know, on her behalf admitted to it she took the stand as a surprise witness in her own <laughs> in her own defense and admitted it on the stand and said she was wel welcomed welcomed any punishment that they would meet out as a result of that violation and she was sorry that she did it every single other defendant in that trial and in the subsequent trials as well have been prosecuted for speech that people didn't like right not now in that trial Kyle it was somewhere between, it was either seven or nine FBI agents testified in that first trial. 
under cross-examination, which the mainstream press completely avoided, totally failed to, to, to uh, render to the American people, was that every single FBI officer in that trial under cross-examination said, I have no proof of written, verbal, or otherwise given orders from Oathkeeper leadership to enter the Capitol, thwart the election <laughs> certification, overthrow the government. Every single FBI officer, about all five of those defendants, answered that exact same way over and over and over again. If it was, that's the case, yeah. then where's the conspiracy? It's the emanations to, and the penumbra, I think, right? It's it's the fact that a bunch of ex-military and law enforcement guys get on the phone or on chat groups together and talk shit like they always do, just like all the guys that I know down here at Bragg. Yes. And and it's just the way they talk. That's right. And that's 100 percent correct, obviously. And 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 the the jury got a brainwashing and i i say that literally because i understand how this i uh, media is my world music is my world i know how to keep a dance floor packed all night long that is not easy to do and it is a it is a science it is a skill that is learned but you know how to program that audience you know how to hypnotize that audience and keep them hypnotized for two or three hours and what that department of justice presentation was in that trial was a High-end, super fast-paced, flash media. I mean, over and over, chat group, chat group, chat group, chat group, all this inflammatory language, video, video, video. Here's the guys on the firing range in Florida in September of 2020. Which they probably do before, every month before, anyway. Before Jan yeah, it's something they do anyway. Before, before January 6th was even scheduled. Chat group, chat group. From October, November, December, before... January 6th was the, I mean, before, because the January 6th event was not announced till December 19th, mm -hmm. 2020. And they're just like over, I mean, it's just fast as they can throw this, uh, this, this programming, this brainwashing, multimedia brainwashing at that. And of course, as you already stated, these clients don't have the money to hire the type of defense teams that can counter financially the type of unlimited budget that they had in that trial that the, that the uh, Department of Justice presented in that trial is that there's no way to counter that. They, their presentation was fact, more factual, but it was clumsy. It was, it was skilled. And, and they're already fighting way, way uphill against a jury that's fighting to get on a jury. That that's exactly it. You're, you're fighting on a, a jury by, by scientific polling had a 95.5% predisposition towards the Oath Keepers guilt before the trial ever started. Right. And and I mean, there's no no way to to, to combat that except to win uh, uh, in a motion for um, uh, you know the um, change of venue, but that's, nobody's going to allow that. Well, apparently they're procedurally barred from doing that, is what I found out. So I've been listening to to Bill Shipley talk. You familiar with him? Oh yeah, I I, 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 I talk to Bill Shipley regularly. I do as well on the back end here and on a couple Twitter spaces. And one of the things that he mentioned, which I thought was actually the most accurate. Uh, assessment of a, of the failure of DOJ, which you I think you have honed in on something really specific. His statement is that the government has no business weighing in on 
the outcome of a trial. They're only interested in the process. And the minute right. that you step away from caring about the process, that it's fair, it's balanced, that discovery is given on time, that the Brady material is turned over the way that it's supposed to be, the minute you, you deviate from that and you start caring about the outcome, guilt or innocence, plea or not, then you have departed from the mission of the government. And we are in a fully departed state at this point. We have left the road. We have left the uh, the on-ramp. We've left whatever sort of the feeder roads are. And we are off far afield driving through uh, recruiting sources from the defense team, which is a, I, which is, yeah. which is, it's not just a defense team. It's a public defender. This is a, like a minor, like very, very minor paid person who has mm. the, you know, the only ability to get this job or has a, a belief in the thing. That's true too. But this yeah. is someone who is not a high paid defense attorney by any means and doesn't have the capabilities of, of going against that. And they're getting, they're getting sources into it. It's incredible stuff. I got a, I got a text from Stuart, one of Stuart Rhodes attorneys last night. And he said, and he was addressing that issue right there. He said, are, are you, are you following this stuff that just coming out in the, in the proud boys? I said, yeah. He said, he's like, damn it. I knew that they were doing that uh, to us the whole time. I knew it was happening to us because time and time and time again, they would have just before they would even subpoena a witness suddenly that witness the day before the subpoena would go out was being interviewed by the fbi or arrested right and it happened to him at least five times during that trial and it was it was not coincidence you know perfect perfect discrediting yeah yeah and, and 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 every single time that the defense would come in and you know without the jury in the room and would start arguing this towards judge Meta and said this is happening to us not interested. In the can, man. Well, it goes back to your poem, scarily enough. But uh, the maiden is not blind. You know, the blindfold right. is lifted. She's peeking yep. for one side, and she's putting her arm on the scale on the other side too. So, um, it's a really, really scary time. Is there anything uplifting about this? I always ask people because I do a lot of interviews that are just a lot of bad news. Um, I I think they're honest and bad news. But is there anything that uh, that gives you any kind of hope out of any of this stuff? Or and, and that doesn't have to be true, by the way. I, I, the last guy I asked, he just said no. <laughs> There's no silver lining. Is there anything that you see that uh, you get some life experience, you get some some wisdom of uh, going through this on on two ends, both as a as an investigator and and also as someone who's kind of a participant unwillingly. I am asked this question every Tuesday morning on a radio show that I do. I have a regular um, thirty minute spot on a national radio show every Thursday morning. Our Tuesday morning. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> because our 30 minute conversation is usually a, you know, nothing but gloom and doom and the end of the Republican zombie apocalypse uh, right. is all it ever consists of that. He asks me every single time, what, what do we, how can we, how can we close this positively today? And sometimes I can't, sometimes I'm just too overwhelmed by what I'm dealing with at the moment, by the uh, cases that I'm working on, the investigations that I'm doing, that I, I I just I can't find the light. I can't see it um, because it is darkness that I'm I'm in this world that I'm moving in right now. Mm -hmm. and, and to the point, and and this is not an answer to your question, but I, I think that uh, those who are still hanging with us will will understand my point. I'm still a musician. I still play. Uh, I've got two more gigs this this month: one tomorrow, one next Thursday, and uh, I get so myopically focused on whatever story I'm working on at the time until I see it through. I, I can't take, I can't, I can't come out of that, that, that tunnel. 
And then I've got a, I've got a gig on the calendar. I'm like, Oh man, I've got a, and I'm the, I'm, I own the band. I'm the band leader. I, I've got a, I've got to schedule rehearsals. I've got to communicate what the set list is going to be, the songs that we have to learn, you know, all all of these things. And I can't come out of that tunnel. And, and then I dread the rehearsal that I had last night. I I got, and then, you know, I get with the band members and, you know, bands are like, you know, locker room kind of situations and we have fun. And, and so it lightens me up a little bit. And then I'm back into my tunnel today. And then tomorrow's my gig. And then I dread the gig coming up. And then every single time, Kyle, I walk off the stage at the end of the night. And I can't wait to do that again because that's the light that I have left in my soul. Yep. Is making people happy because I feel like what I'm doing right now is scaring the shit out of them otherwise. And, and not because that's my intent. It's that it's, it's almost like it's just a clarion call. It's the, you know, it's the, 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 the town, you know, the, the, the ringing the bell, the barker, I, you know, I, I've got, I, I feel like that because I, I'm also going to tell you this and, and Rogan hit on this the other day when he said, I don't know if you saw that clip where he said, you know, thank God for the independent journalists because the, the, the big media is failing us utterly and they are. And that's what I was, that was the point I made earlier. I, I can't wait for the day. Now, I didn't have this opportunity with Tucker because I only had three minutes. That's right. But if I ever got to do his podcast or if I get to do Glenn Beck's podcast or if I get to sit down with Ben Shapiro, every one of them or one of them, if it ever happens, I'm going to look at them across the table and I'm going to tell them how much respect I have for the work that they've done and how much I I follow them and I watch them and I pay attention to what their work and the good work that they do. But I'm then I'm going to say, but you failed this country during the nine weeks of that Oath Keepers trial because you had the money, the resources, and the damn staff in D.C. to come in there and you've got a bullhorn large enough to at least balance out the absolutely steaming stack of Barbara Streisand that was coming out of the national media during that trial. Yeah, And you could have offset that and maybe made a difference even in one charge of one person or a set. But instead you left me as this little bitty blogger guy, independent who had to pay for that sucker out of my pocket for nine weeks. It ain't cheap to be in DC for nine weeks, by the way. Mm-hmm. And you left me there by myself. Yep. And you you didn't you, you you didn't fail your audience. You failed the country by not being there that day. And you know why? Because you're scared of January January six. You think it's you think it's toxic. But I'm telling you right now, you don't understand the magnitude of what's happening as a result of January six. It's the largest narrative victory in the history of this country for one political side over the other. And they're taking full advantage right now and running roughshod over the constitution. And this is the, it's the Petri dish for where they're taking us. And if you don't see it, you don't understand it. You're not going to be able to stop it. So that so was not is. positive. That is not what positive, it is, but it is a good takeaway. It is the, it is the thing that I would leave everybody with is to say this. If they're not going to do it, it's going to be me and it's going to be the other small guys. It's going to be the independents that are out there, you know, doing the old style gumshoe work. And, and, uh, I'm going to find the port to that death star, buddy. Yeah, it's there. 
and they keep they expose it every once in a while yep. as as steve calls it the thermal exhaust port uh we yeah. hit one on the fbi with the catholic document that went out that made a big mm -hmm. buzz it hit in a big way there's 70 million catholics yep. in this country that don't want to be told that they are white supremacists because it's antithetical to their views simply because they don't like abortion that's not a thing that's real and every once in a while, they, they turn that little scale over, or the scale of smog, if you were a, 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 yep. a J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, there was one spot where he was soft, right? And they, and they do right. have a soft spot, and they, and they expose it occasionally. So yep. we'll keep looking for it. I appreciate that. Uh, I tell everybody that, because uh, people always check in on me and do the same thing, and they go, oh, you know, how you doing? And I go, it's really straightforward. I go to bed every single night defeated, and I wake up every morning ready for war. And, yeah. uh, and it sounds like you have the same attitude. So I do appreciate that in a big way. Where can people read some of this morose, uh, doom and gloom writing that you put out there? Where, where can they follow your blog if they're not already doing so? Yeah, I'm, I'm on locals. Um, the, the easiest way to find it, and you can either write out the full, I, I, I've got to condense my name, but it's the pragmatic constitutionalist.locals.com, or you can just go to TPC for USA. Dot com and it'll take you to the same exact address tpc, uh, TPC the number four the number four usa and at tpc for usa is my twitter account it's also my facebook account so tpc for usa is the easiest way to find it but obviously we we need you over on locals because uh not only is there uh content there that i don't share anywhere and, and i i have i have these kinds of conversations with my followers there that i don't have anywhere else sure uh and and that is important. And I I, I there those are the guys that I wake up and at, you know at six thirty in the morning when I get a call from that telling me to you know I need to be looking you know uh, over my shoulder that I then go to them and I tell them those stories that morning that I don't tell the rest of the world usually, and so that's the kind of thing that happens there to uh, my locals uh, group and uh, and it's also the only place I don't I don't have any potions or lotions or anything else to sell, and so. Uh, it, it is only through the support that we do through the subscriber side of our locals is free to subscribe to, but we also have a supporter side. And so anybody that can do that over there for as little as $5 a month can help us in, uh, uh, in these investigations. And as I said, it, it ain't cheap being in DC. No, it sure isn't. Now. Well, yeah. I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate you sharing all this time with us now, three hours and change. Um, God bless you for the, for the work you're doing. I hope you keep us apprised. Um, I hope that, uh, that they stay off your door. Uh, I hope that the lions stay at bay and, um, we're, we're going to need some small victories in these little fields for some people to, who are doing the right thing to not have the DOJ kick through that door. I have the same fears, uh, for different reasons, just cause I yeah. have no trust in that agency, unfortunately. And, uh, what a sad world that uh, we're living in where our Department of Justice has slipped that blindfold and is is looking that's us right. in the eye as instead of just doing the job that is the process. So that's a shame. Uh, folks, you've been listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. And if you enjoyed what you heard here, by all means, you can hit subscribe on Rumble and you can find us on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you find one that we're not on, let me know and I'll try and get us on there too. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share the content with a friend or two. It's always appreciated. We do these interviews every Monday morning that uh, you can listen to throughout the week, maybe in bite-sized pieces, or if you got some long drive going across the country, we will keep you company. Uh, we always appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you get a chance to do that, the links are in the show notes. I'll put the links to Steve Baker, my guest today, to his uh, website. You can check out his locals account and uh, do some of the reading there. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for this long, but I think very necessary story. Steve, I really appreciate your time. And folks, we will see you all next time on The Kyle Serafin Show. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.